And I started looking for my keys. And any husbands here, raise your hand if you're married. You, you know, when you're looking for something, do you tend to blame your wives? You know, not that you blame them, but you're just like, babe, did I give you the keys? Did, did I pass these things? Like you try to pass on responsibility. Like I didn't lose the keys. Like, did I give them to you at some point? Like, don't remember? And she's standing looking at me like, no, that never happened, right? And so we're looking for the keys. I, seriously, it was uh, the July 4th weekend, and so we went down to the beach, and we watched fireworks. And so we're down there uh, like 11 o'clock at night on the beach with flashlights trying to look through the sand. Did I lose them out of my pocket? Nowhere to be found. Finally, uh, my brother-in-law, who is a genius uh, when it comes to this stuff, uh, he said, let's go talk to the custodians. Let's go talk to the security and see if... Uh, anybody had turned the keys in, and so we went, and sure enough, I guess I left them by the urinal. Who, who does that? Who? No, seriously, think about that. You know, I mean, who, how does that, I don't, uh, so I guess maybe I was like super excited about getting the day going, and right as we parked, I went by this public restroom, and I was like, oh, I gotta go to the bathroom, and you know, logic says, put the keys on the urinal, right? I mean, don't put them in your pocket. Well, anyways, I lose my keys all the time. My good friend, Will Eifler, uh, found me like this, some kind of key detector thing. I don't even, still to, to this day, don't know how it works, um, but... <laughs> But have you ever lost something in a time when you need it the most? You know, take, for example, your wallet, right? You know, how many can relate to this when you uh, need gas in a real bad way? You even pushed it the night before to get to your destination without filling up. And you're like, I'll just do it in the morning. And I'll just get that in the morning. And morning comes, sure enough, it's in your mind. But you drive up to that pump. And you don't have what you need to pay for that gas. Am I alone in that? Has that ever happened? And you have to like backtrack, go back to the home, try to search. Where did I, babe, did I give you my wallet? I mean, why would she, right? And it's just crazy the things that we, you know, misplace sometimes. You know, maybe I'm showing my age, but uh, there used to be a time when you could pump before, uh, you could pump your gas before you paid for it. it. there was also a time when gas was like 99 cents. You know, so it's a real thing, right? I mean, I, I, my, my first car, I had this picture my mom has it of me pumping gas, and it's like 99 cents. I'm like, ah. But you used to be able to pump gas before you paid. And, and, you know, obviously gas stations got smart because there was a lot of people driving off without paying. I wasn't one of them, just saying, but, you know, I had a friend who did it. And, um, you know, it was before Jesus, so don't judge him. Don't, ju- don't judge him. You know, you're, you pump gas and you get in your car. You, you're leaving. You're hoping nobody notices you. You're like, oh, yeah. And so there used to be a time where you could pump your gas before you paid. And if you had the decency to actually pay for your gas uh, and not just drive off, you would have to go and explain your awkward somewhat situation of not having the funds. Or let's say, have you ever gone through TSA? You ever been preparing uh, for that? that real intrusive time of being poked and prodded by a man with a blue shirt on and black slacks, you know, and you're, you're going right up to the line as they're going to run your, your little uh, license through that neon light thing. I don't even know if it's neon, but that little license to make sure you're legit. And you go to reach for your license and you're like, oh my God, it's not here. I guess I'm not going on this trip. Have you ever been there? It wasn't me. It was a friend of mine that had that experience. And, um, 
But my point is this, is that there are some things in life we should never be without. I'd like to title my sermon this morning, Things You Should Never Be Without. Uh, it's a funny story, right, about the glamping. It's a funny story. We get all chuckled and maybe even place ourselves in times and circumstances where we forgot something that we needed. But the truth is, guys, when it comes to our faith, when it comes to spirituality and our belief in our walk with Christ, there are some not-so-obvious things, if I could say. There are, not, there are some not-so-obvious things that we should never be without in life. What I mean is there are some necessary tools that are essential for every believer. Sorry I'm spitting. I don't know what's going on this morning, but I, you on the front row, bless you in Jesus' name. I'll try to move back a little bit. Ruthie's like, oh my God, I can't believe he just brought attention to that. Oh. But there are some necessary tools that are essential for every believer to have them. Things that are critical yet not obvious. They're certainly not obvious in the world that we live in because the world that we live in puts no attention, gives no attention to things like zeal. It, it, it does a good job of giving great attention to comfort, money, success, education, right? It, 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 these amongst the many things, right, that that our culture accepts, so, uh, sorry, obsesses over. Yet the scriptures obsess over something altogether differently. Altogether differently. And it goes to the point of, of, of saying, you cannot go without these things. And one of these things I would like to draw your attention to is zeal. In Romans chapter 12, I know, you to, I, know I told you, excuse me, to open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, but go back to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to start. My bad. A little bit ahead of myself. Romans chapter 12, right? One verse, verse 11. It says, do not, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. The New Living Translation, if you have it, says this, never be caught or found lacking zeal. Never be in a situation where you don't have zeal. Zeal is essential for the Christ followers. Lacking it or being lazy in maintaining zeal with a fervent spirit, according to Paul, in my opinion even, is the root cause of burnout in the church. The root call, cause of burnout. The Greek word for zeal is spudea. It means haste. With haste, earnestness, diligence, earnestness in accomplishing, promoting, or striving after anything. To give all diligence. Zeal for God and zeal for the things of God should be distinctive qualities in every life of every believer, according to Paul. It was for Jesus, right? John 2.17 says, great zeal had eaten him up, had consumed him for the house of God. I'd like to attempt, if I could, on giving us an example of the type of zeal that Paul is referencing here in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. And here we can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 for that. So if you want to now flip over to the verse I gave you in the beginning of the sermon, this will provide for us some context of the type of zeal that Paul is referencing here in Romans chapter 12. Verse 11. But for some context here, Paul is writing 
to the Corinthian church about a specific matter regarding zeal and money. Yes, finances. Right? Essentially, there are a group of believers in Jerusalem, right, who are struggling, let's say, to make ends meet. They cannot pay their bills. They are a small congregation living probably from paycheck to paycheck, if that. They are struggling. And so Paul um, rallies together local churches uh, and, and even churches abroad that he has personal connections with and relations with that consider Paul to be kind of like an apostolic, apostolic father. And he starts encouraging them to help this church in Jerusalem. The Corinthian church had heard about their need well before Paul's follow-up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, the Corinthian people had referred to the need of this small little church in Jerusalem in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. So something was being provoked in the Corinthian people before Paul, meaning it was being provoked without the persuasion or even the encouragement of Paul at this time. The Corinthian people had heard about a need and they responded in their hearing and said, Paul, how can we help out? This was the cause of Paul's boasting in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You can read it there for yourself. Essentially, Paul is bragging about the Corinthian people because of their eagerness. They're eager. They are uh, somewhat fiercely dedicated to helping this church with their financial needs. Their readiness to help, again, is provoked from within. It's not coming from without. It's from within themselves. They heard, and God is stirring them because the Corinthian church was a wealthy church. It was a prominent church. It was a well-established church. Their desire to help this church in Jerusalem uh, was not, again, the result of Paul persuading them, pleading with them. It wasn't the result of any outside force or person. It was initiated from within their own hearts. Paul is simply reminding them in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 of what the Lord started stirring within them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He's going he's to send some of his uh, 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 co-workers to you know, go get that offering to bring it to this uh, struggling church in Jerusalem. So now Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 to take action and have their offering ready. And the people, this is what is amazing, I, you know, in the scripture that we actually see firsthand in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the church excited about generosity. <laughs> and, and it's not because Paul is out in front leading the charge with these people and saying, you must, you must. Although he could have done that, and it would be within his right, within his power. But he doesn't. This is initiated. Their generosity is initiated from something that God is doing within them. They have a certain kind of zeal in their offering. Their desire to participate in helping this church is fueled by zeal to help. Zeal for the situation. Zeal over the matter. In other words, their readiness to do this uh, 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 matter of fact, they're eager. They're, they're more than ready. They're itching. They're like, how can we be part of helping this church? I love that. So when Paul says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, he is not talking about us being uh, coerced, if you would. 
coerced or driven to have, let's call them, zealous affections for Christ and for the things of God. That's not what Paul means in Romans chapter 12, 11. He's, he's more identifying with something that should already be alive, should already be the focus, should already be the drive of God's people. Don't be slothful in zeal. In other words, Paul could have almost said it like this. Don't have me come here and remind you how you, not, you need not to be lacking in zeal. He's talking about something you and I should eagerly desire. We, we know what it's like to desire something, right? We know what it's like to have cravings. I like strawberry and cheesecake ice cream. And every Sunday after church, I have this deep craving for strawberry and cheesecake Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> to the point of where I will inconvenience my wife when the house is quiet and we're almost ready to go to bed. I'll say, babe... Could you go to the store and buy me some cheese? I have a craving for it. And it just happens to be that that craving gets magnified. I don't know if I'm depressed, but I know what it's like to crave. I know what it was like for 14 years, 13 years, to want to be married to Bethany. You're like, what? what? Listen, we'll just... We'll put period right there. We won't get into the details. Yes, we all know what it's like to crave for something, to eagerly desire deep within our hearts. And that's what Paul's saying. Don't let this be coerced. Let this be something that is natural in you, that you crave, that you have zeal in your heart for Christ. There's a massive difference between the two, friends. There is a massive difference uh, on one hand, uh, one takes a, the constant effort and work on our part to entertain and drive ourselves to have zeal for the Lord and the things of God with a fervent spirit, while the other, enthusiastically, with intentionality, in great care, desire, seeks to maintain a white-hot passion for God, as John Piper would say. God wants you white hot this morning with passion for him. We all know what it's like to have passions that are unrelated to God. We all know what it's like to want to be married. We all know what it's like to want to have a new car. We all know what it's like to want to have uh, more finances to work with. We all know what it's like to even work and strive and crave after those things. But I wonder how many of us are really understanding that God desires that same craving to be within us when it comes to him. And right here in Romans chapter 12, here I say that's exactly what Paul is saying. Don't be non-negotiable. For a believer, it's, it's, there, you, it's, it's a non-negotiable. Be zealous for God with a fervent spirit. Maintain, without being coerced, your white-hot passion for Jesus. The means by which we keep this zeal alive or strong in our lives is given in the following command or in the following words where Paul says, be fervent. Be fervent in spirit. Actually, the translation of Romans chapter 12, verse 11, we could say it like this. Allow oneself to be set on fire 
by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Allow oneself to be set on fire. You probably, some of you probably think, what is he set on fire? What is wrong with this guy? But you know what? Those thoughts just come from a real just disattachment to Scripture. Because we're not familiar with the language of God. God wants to burn. The Bible says that God is like a consuming fire. This, this is not language that I'm just making up. This is language that's in the book. And God wants us to partner with his Holy Spirit so that we would be on fire with the Holy Spirit. The original translation also gives off the impression, it really does, it gives us the feel that cooperation is needed. Right? I mean, isn't that what Paul says? He says, allow, allow yourself to be set aflame by the Holy Spirit. We've got to cooperate with the Spirit's desire. The Spirit's desire is to be like a raging fire within our hearts. That's why Paul can write to Timothy and say, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God. This is, this is why he can't. In other words, Paul's saying, Timothy, the Holy Spirit wants to burn in you. Timothy was of a timid disposition. I mean, the guy was a young man with great responsibilities. And I imagine that some of his fear, some of him being timid, was feeling the weight as a young man to manage those responsibilities. Maybe he's pastoring people and leading people that are twice, maybe three times his age. And they have different opinions than the way Timothy is doing. I mean, Paul charged Timothy to call out heresy. Paul charged Timothy to call out false prophets, false teachers as a young man. And I don't know about you, but if Paul gives, if I'm Timothy, I'm thinking, oh my God, no, can you please give this to another? So timid, Timothy, excuse me, is timid. I mean, it may sound a bit off, right? Because the general consensus that we have about the Holy Spirit is once he speaks, once he moves, once he does something, everything just falls into place. It's not true. It's just not true. We cannot just bank on the Holy Spirit moving for everything to fall into place. And not every, nothing falls completely into place until Jesus returns. And yes, when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's not always welcomed. We don't always listen to it. And not only us, but we have the, 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 the facts are in the book. I mean, if you ask the writer of Hebrews, if that when the Holy Spirit speaks, when he moves, that everything just falls into place, everything gets better, he would disagree with you. No, 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 no. That's not just, listen to uh, Hebrews chapter 3, 7 through 11. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of rebellion, on the day of testing in the wilderness. He's talking about the children of Israel. They hardened. Do you know what Israel saw in those days of Exodus? I mean, a pillar of fire by night, clouds by day, water from a rock, a, a, a massive body of water opening. That's some epic, epic things. But yet, the writer here says, listen, when the Holy Spirit speaks, 
Do not harden your heart. Do not stiffen your neck. What does that tell me? It tells me I have something to do. I, I, I have to partner in this thing with God because I can either A, when the Holy Spirit speaks, shut down my heart, close it up, stiffen my neck and with pride, go on my merry way, or I can humble myself and say, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you saying? And even when it comes to ministry, listen, here's the fact, guys. We are all full-time ministers. Listen, I mean, you are a full-time minister, be it in the workplace, at school, in your neighborhood, amongst your, your coworkers. You are a full-time ministry. There's no difference between me and you. And just as much as I need the Holy Spirit now, you need the Holy Spirit when you leave this place. So do not harden your hearts. So it's not true that we, that's not reflected in the Bible that when the Holy Spirit does what he does and moves how he moves in epic ways, that everything falls into place and we're just like, oh, the Holy Spirit is here. It's not true. It appears as though we have a part to play. It appears as though in Scripture, just two reference points, that we have a collaborative Work. We, we collaborate with the Spirit and His desire. How? Well, it says in Hebrews chapter 3, we listen. We listen to His words when He speaks. We listen with softened hearts, meaning we humble ourselves and what? We are eager and ready to obey. And our obedience is not because we feel pressured. It's not, it's not burdensome. It's a joy. And that's what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you see? It wasn't a burden for the Corinthian church to rally together. Matter of fact, it was, it was largely unprovoked. It, it was largely unpersuaded by Paul or anybody else. It came from within. It was a natural thing where they were eager to do something and eager to cooperate with the Spirit. So I conclude that we should, or we do, participate in allowing or cooperating with the Spirit, or allowing ourselves to cooperate with the Spirit, and being inflamed with zeal. The, the very words where Paul is saying, do not, it, it, it definitely, that, that do not says something massive to me. I, I, so by those words, I say, oh, I I can actually prevent this thing. I can actually work against what the Spirit of God wants to do in my life. So we cooperate with softened hearts, eager to obey. Because you know what? Obedience to Jesus is really zeal's fuel. It really is. Obedience to Jesus is really zeal's fuel. Um, and as long as you're stoking those fires uh, with uh, white hot passion, you'll never be lacking zeal. You will never be lacking a deepened desire for Jesus as long as your obedience is alive and as long as you're fueling that with a yes. Yes, Lord. Even stalled disobedience is disobedience. I didn't say that. Somebody else did. I don't know who it was. but So we collaborate with the Spirit. And that collaborative work, collaborative work, I think, I don't know if I'm saying that word, um, takes both. 
Paul says we shouldn't, we should, excuse me, eagerly welcome it and diligently partner with the Spirit's work in us and fanning the flames of fervency in our hearts. This reminds me again, and I already preached it, but where Paul said to Timothy, I believe three times in First and Second Timothy, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God within you. Or Timothy, protect the gift of God in you. Now, I'm not implying, even talking about Timothy's timid dis- uh, disposition, that Timothy was... Or, his, or that Timothy's, excuse me, faith was waning in any way. And that's why Paul is writing Timothy. But what I am implying is that the gift is clearly connected to the Holy Spirit. Listen to verse 14, I believe, of 2 Timothy. It says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, guard the good work or the good deposit entrusted to you. What becomes really clear to me in verse 14 is that in addition to the connection, so to speak, between the Spirit and the gift, is that even with the gift of the Spirit, some human cooperation is needed to flame, uh, I'm sorry, for the flame of God to be fanned. Does that make sense? Some cooperation, some willingness on our part is when you know, I believe that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And he won't come to places where he's not welcomed. Meaning he won't fan those embers in our hearts, those embers in our spirit, if we're not allowing him to. But man, when we do, that's when those, that smoldering fire, so to speak, becomes an inferno. It becomes a burning hot lamp. It's so discouraging sometimes as a pastor in seeing people who constantly come in and out of zealous affections for Jesus. You know, you know, that, you know that you know, if you're here and you feel, I'm not trying to condemn, but if you feel like that kind of person, do you know that I am that type of person too? Do you know that that I daily have to choose, even again, sometimes the way that my emotions are make, you know, the, the way that my emotions make me feel, even, even the, 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 the kind of eagerness is waning at times where there's not that desire to say, oh God, let your spirit fan the flames of zeal in my heart. It's, it's, it's not easy, friends. And listen, You can spend a lot of time going after a lot of things, stirring up a lot of affection for a lot of different things. But I want to encourage you in the process, don't forget about what is needed the most in your life. Don't forget about a fire within you that needs to be fanned. And don't think that it's the church's responsibility to fan that fire either every Sunday. Or every midweek service. It's not. Honestly, when we come together on Sunday morning, that fire in our hearts should be burning bright. It, what happens here should kind of be the result of just day in and day out believers just fanning the flames of 
fiery passion and zeal in their hearts for Jesus. When we come here, oh, we can't help but open our mouths. We can't help but lift our hands. You know why I dance? Because I can't help it. I just overjoy. You know why I shout? You know why I sweat? You know why I yell right now? I just can't help myself. I've been fanning a fire all week long in my heart, and this just feels like a right time to just like, let it all out. I've been feasting on God's word in his presence, listening and worshiping in the prayer room. Just fan. I don't have time. You have time. And if you don't have time, you need to find time. It'd be almost like I don't have time to brush my teeth. I don't have time to go to the gym. Do you understand? This is necessary. May I say it's even more necessary than you finding that one day or two days a week to hit the gym. Let your body go. Because if your spirit dies, now I'm not saying let your body go. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, that'd be all out weird, but... What I am saying is this, you should be more concerned about what's happening here and the condition of this fire. Is it burning? And so much like Paul, I come to Hilltop Church this morning, I say, church, fan into flame the fire of God within you. These are things we need. It's interesting that the Bible is full of stories, men and women, who are not, um, you know, of the greatest pedigree, you know. They're not of the greatest intellectual status and influence of wealth. They're not. They're actually common people who you can see very clearly, take, for example, the, uh, the apostles or the, or, or, or the disciples when Jesus called them. They're not necessarily uh, an attractive, wow, that's the top of the class right there, Jesus. Way to go. And, and, and really, all throughout the gospel, all you see is you see some glimmers of hope with them, but all you see is a, weary, a very weak people. I mean, Peter can't even proclaim boldly his faith to a little girl. In other stories, there's just weakness and just frailty and being timid and fearful. But yet, in Acts chapter 2, something changes. What changes? The Spirit comes on them. (laughs) If this is not the best of examples I could give to you of what it looks like, where a weak, timid, You know, not necessarily attractive, not necessarily the, the, the top of his class. You know, when the Spirit comes upon that person, everything changes. You see, you don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be educated. And I'm not slamming education this morning. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be articulate. All you have to do is fan the flame of God's Spirit inside of you, and He will place you before thousands. 
So Hilltop Church, are you fanning the flames of fire in your heart? Are you burning with zeal this morning? Do you feel like today you've gathered kind of like out of the overflow of things that you've been entertaining and fueling all week inside of your heart? Or do you feel like you're here and you're just holding on to the end of the rope? I hope I can hold this a little longer, Jesus. If you feel like you're at the end of the rope, I'd like you to stand to your feet. If you feel like you need some encouragement, some prayer, uh, infusion, so to speak, of the Holy Spirit's strength, zeal and tenacity, I want you to stand to your feet this morning because I'm going to believe for God to do a new thing. Now, we're going to pray for you. Will, if you'd come up and give us some music. We're going to pray for you. But you know what? I believe some extraordinary things are going to happen in your heart and your spirit this morning. But you know what? The truth of the matter is, after it's done, it's going to be your job to maintain it. It's going to be your job to, to fan that fire. It's going to be your job to throw fuel on that fire. And so don't be fooled, guys. This is just a starting point. Monday's going to come. And then it's going to be our job to get before God when nobody's looking. To go to the prayer room when nobody else is there. To hide our hearts in prayer and worship. To give ourselves to not just hitting the gym and going to this social event and doing that thing because we think it's important, but saying, oh no, there is something of great importance. It's called time with God. It's called making time so that the Holy Spirit can fan into flame a zeal and passion for God. If that's you, I want you to stand. If you feel like your faith is waning, you feel like your fire is dim, I want you to stand because I believe God's going to do something great this morning. Everybody that has a fire in their heart this morning, start praying now. Start just praying, God. Let's just invite the Holy Spirit here. God, come on, it's not enough that we just preach a message. It's time to respond, church. It's time to respond to what we hear. I believe God wants to give us a fresh baptism of fire. I believe that God wants to pour His Spirit out in us. He wants to light a match this morning in our hearts. So just pray. Just pray. As Will plays, just pray. Pray in tongues. Pray in your understanding. Pray in the Spirit. Just pray. Just pray. Oh, Holy Spirit. Thank you, God. I want to give a couple more minutes. I believe that there's still people here that you feel like your fire is dim. I want and encourage you to stand to your feet. We want to pray for you. We want to believe that when you leave this morning, you would leave different than the way that you came in these doors. That you would leave with a fire, a consuming fire, burning in your spirit. Listen, we're going to need it. That world out there is getting dark. That world out there is getting tricky. And the only way to stand under its pressure and its persuasion is to be inflamed with the Spirit's influence and power.
Now do what you're already doing. Start to gather around everybody who's standing, church. Those who are not standing, if you feel comfortable, I'd imagine by your sitting, you're saying, Daryl, I already feel like that fire is burning bright. Well, let's say, let's just impart some things. Let's give some things away. Let's, let's impart some of that fire to our friends who are not feeling so fiery, who are not feeling so um, fresh and renewed in the spirit. I see two people over there. They need somebody praying. We actually got a couple over there. Now listen, guys, it, this is not, it's not the best time to just observe and keep your eyes open and looking out on what's going on here. It's time to press in and pray for one another like we're praying for ourselves. I need you to play, man. Their need for yeah, yeah, yeah. So just even that place of like pride where it's like, no, 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 I'm doing enough. Um, I don't know, just yeah, a, okay. a little angle. Yeah, yeah, we'll get you out. We'll get you out. I want to hear more prayer. I want to hear more prayer. Come on, open your mouth. Jesus, come now. Oh, no. Fresh fire from it. Oh, yes, Lord, baptize us, God. Fill us with the flames of zeal and passion for God. Fill us, God, and inflame within us, God, a passion for you, God. Oh, Lord, we pray, Lord, for collaborative work, God. We pray, Jesus that we would link and lock in with you, God. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we want to be inflamed and envisioned, Jesus. That's right. Pray, pray, pray for them. Pray for one another. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for power. Thank you for fire, God. Who wants to live the Christian life without burning, God? I don't want to live the Christian life without burning, God. I don't want to follow you if I'm not burning, God. I want to burn. I want to burn with the consuming fire of God. The zeal of God. Jesus. 